The Gospel of Jesus Christ according to Matthew, according to Mark, according to Luke, according to John. Now, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, they came to the tomb. Mary Magdalene came to the tomb. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb. Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices that they had prepared so that they may go and anoint him when the sun had risen. While it was still dark. And they were saying to one another, Who will whirl away the stone for us from the door of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone was rolled back, for it was very large. I recall that there was a great earthquake, and an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat upon it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. Well, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. I remember that they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. And for fear of him, of them, the guards... (laughs) The guards trembling, uh, and they became like dead men. They were amazed. The spice bearers were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth. The two men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He He is is not not here, for he he has risen. risen. Come, and see, see the, the place, place where, where he lay. And they laid him. Remember how he told you, while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners, be crucified, and on the third day rise again? And they remembered his words. Then go quickly and tell the disciples, his disciples and Peter, that he has risen from the dead and indeed He He is is going going before before you to to Galilee. Galilee. There There you will will see him, him, as he told you. The angel said, this is my message to you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. They fled from the tomb for terror and and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. They told all this to the eleven and all the rest. Yes, they ran to tell his disciples. Well, I have a longer ending written sometime later, but we can come back to that. Mary Magdalene ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. 
Peter came out with the other disciple, and they went toward the tomb. They both ran, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Stooping and looking in, Peter saw the linen cloths by themselves. The other disciple saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying, and the cloth that had been placed on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Peter went home amazed at what had happened. But Mary Magdalene stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Saying this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. He appeared first to Mary Magdalene, for whom he had cast out seven demons. Jesus said to Mary, Woman, Why are you weeping? Whom do you seek? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Jesus said to Mary, Do not hold me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Mary went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and he had been seen by her, her, they would not believe it. After this, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking back into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. Later, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were sitting at the table and he abraded them for their lack of faith and stubbornness, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the good news to the whole creation. For the the good good news of of Jesus Christ. Christ. Thanks Thanks be to God. Amen. While you're riding that gospel high, I want to get your Easter picture. We'll let the choir get assembled again. Transept, hello. 
Other transept, hello, wave. (laughs) Because you all look so beautiful today, as on every resurrection day that is Sunday in this church, would you pray with me? Loving God, we ask that we may meet you in the garden, that we may meet you at the empty tomb, that we may sense your presence stirring in our lives in big and small ways, that you may move us in our faith, however we may express it, and that the words of our mouths and the meditations of all our hearts may be truly acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. And let the people say, Amen. I've long wanted to hear all four gospel accounts of the resurrection read in dialogue with one another because I thought it would be elucidating, if not for you, at least for me, It is like an alumni reunion of gospel tellers decades after the story has happened. I remember that there was an angel there. No, no, it was just a man. There were two of them. No, just one. I remember that uh, Mary Magdalene went. No, it was Mary and the other Mary. No, it was Mary Magdalene, Mary the other Mary, and who was the mother of James, and Salome, and some other women too. I remember Peter came. No, Peter came with the other disciple, but he outran him all the time. I just remember how the linens were cleared away and that one on his head was wadded up apart from that. I just thought that was so interesting. No one else found that very interesting. And why is it that John knows so much about Mary Magdalene and this encounter with the risen Christ? This beautiful encounter where she mistakes him for being the gardener and then recognizes him as her teacher. And I think that Mark, after hearing everyone else, went back to his hotel and the next day wrote a new account to remember (laughs) at the end. It's like that old song from musical theater where a couple's trying to remember their courtship. And they say, we dined at nine. No, we dined at eight. I was on time. No, you were late. (laughs) Ah, yes, I remember it well. We dined with friends. No, we dined alone. A tenor sang, a baritone. Ah, yes, I remember it well. I come from a family that values accuracy. I was trained, as were my siblings, by a very talented high school journalism teacher. And so my siblings went on to major in journalism. My sister is a lifelong journalist. My father was an engineer, a numbers person. So accuracy matters. Getting the story right matters. My mother and my spouse, however, are more than willing not to let pesky details get in the way of a good story. Some of what many of us might argue are the facts. Robert is fond of saying reality is overrated. And when he retails a story, if I point out that something happened in June, not July, he says same thing. Now, he's not here to defend himself because he's with his family in Philadelphia, but I asked him last night if I could tell you this, and he said yes. And in these two relationships, I have developed a very charming habit of correcting them in conversation. (laughs) It took me a while to realize just how annoying this can be. 
I still bristle from that moment when I was a teenager when one of my mother's peers excoriated me for correcting her in public. And later, a good, kind, but direct friend said to me, you know, when you correct Robert on the details, it doesn't really affect the story and its underlying meaning that he's trying to get across. And it's taken a few years, but gradually I've learned to back off. Not completely. (laughs) And as I've now been interpreting ancient scripture and tried to have it make some sense centuries and layers and layers of cultures away, I realize the deeper truth of my friend's observation. As I've quoted a beloved preacher before, it's not that the facts don't matter. It's just they don't matter as much as the stories do. And stories can be true whether they happened or not. But we do hear very clearly in these stories, despite their change of details and their variances, as they say in unison, he is not here, he is risen. When we retell this story, I hearten to the part where the disciples and others had trouble believing the resurrection. It just seemed too good to be true or something they couldn't fathom. And I'm aware that there are a lot of us still confounded by the idea of the resurrection. It's a first century Jewish idea that many of us have trouble squaring with our 21st century hyper-rational, post-enlightenment, factual, secular-influenced sensibility. But whether you believe in the factual details of these stories and the factuality of a bodily resurrection, at least in the way we think of facts, I'm more curious what we think the story means. Why should we keep telling it? Why did you come here again today to hear it again? What difference does it make? It's okay, sweetheart. What does it compel you to do with your life? (laughs) Because if it weren't for this story, you and I wouldn't be here at all today. It helps to know that in the Greek, resurrection means uprising. And in Latin, it means resurgence. When Jesus' followers told the stories that he had risen up from the dead, they were making a theological claim about power. How the world works. Power to turn things around. Power to keep going with this Jesus movement and the gospel of God's grace and abiding love. Power that the Roman Empire, which I may point out hasn't existed for centuries, would not have the last word. We are here today, you and I, as proof of the resurrection. We are proof that when we live out our lives in a way that embodies the claim that love is stronger than death, stronger than shame, stronger than despair, we are embodying the resurrection. We are proof when we remember that there are plenty of crosses today, instruments of violence and shame and death all around us, and yet we proclaim God's love and living among us, we are resurrected people. It means that we remember that the forces of consumerism, of racism, of classism, of sexism, of bigotry in all its forms, of militarism and violence of any kind, are all dead ends. They all rely on hatred and fear for fuel. 
And it means that you and I, as resurrected people, remember to join God and the risen Christ in rising up, in calling out, in challenging, in healing, which are all an important part of the work of Jesus' ministry of love. It's hard work, of course, looking at the things in the world that are very difficult and unpleasant to see, both in the world and inside of ourselves, to call them out, to challenge them, to work for healing and love. Every Holy Week, I feel like it's essential that on Monday, Thursday, we recount the betrayal and the denial, because it's all in us. And on Friday night, we recount the execution and the seven last words on the cross and do so in contemporary images of how we see those words playing out in our world today. Because the newspapers will tell you again and again that it is a Monday, Thursday, and a Good Friday kind of world. But you and I come here today to proclaim a different kind of news, a good news, that the resurrected Christ lives among us. Clarence Jordan, a radical Southern Christian a generation ago, proclaimed the good news of the resurrection, saying, The proof of God, that God raised Jesus from the dead is not the empty tomb, but the full hearts of transformed disciples. The crowning evidence that Jesus lives is not a vacant grave, but a spirit-filled fellowship. Not a rolled-away stone, but a carried-away church. I am grateful to be a part of a church community that embodies this kind of resurrection, this kind of uprising, this kind of resurgence. When people ask me specifically what are the beliefs of this church, I have trouble coming up with one thing, because I know that we are a mosaic of beliefs, a mosaic of faith statements, each making our own way, our own journeys, individual paths. I tell them in the words of one of my United Church of Christ colleagues that I believe we are a community with a strong center, the risen Christ who lives among us, whose stories and ministry we seek to follow as a guide, and we have porous boundaries where all may enter and join us around this center in each one in their own pace, their own rhythm, their own distance, their own closeness, their own spiritual comfort with their own questions, their own doubts, and most importantly, their own convictions. We approach the cross here in the center of our sanctuary, the symbol of our faith, much like the women and the disciples approached the tomb that morning with wonder, with curiosity, with amazement, perhaps even some fear and trembling and some great joy. But I've also thought it would be better for us if each one of us could articulate that faith more clearly. And so this Lent we had a study of our faith in small groups, in individual takeout questions that you had with each Sunday worship service. And the premise of this faith study is that all of us, regardless of whether we're religious or even if we're atheists, we operate off some sort of faith system. It may be a set of beliefs. It may be an ultimate loyalty. It may be a trust. It may be our view on the world. But all of us have some sort of guiding compass for our morals and ethics in the world. And the project confirmed my understanding that we, like I think any honest community of faith, are a mosaic of understanding. 
you will see on these columns that Deborah Hall from our adult deepening team has arranged some of the face statements that people came up with. They are too numerous for me to quote all of them here. But you will see a Mobius strip that is a symbol of faith, a mobile. You will see a spiral that looks like a double helix full of statements, some of them full of questions. You'll see an annotation of the Apostles' Creed over on this column with questions and answers. But just to share a few of them, over here you'll see one that says, My faith is like a boat. God is the captain. Jesus is the first mate who gives the orders. And the Holy Spirit makes sure we know where we are going. You'll find one over here that says, God is my creator, my mother, who hears my cry in times of sorrow. My sister, when I want to share my secrets or just have fun in this beautiful world. My life partner who says, you are my beloved. You'll find another one that says, I believe that Jesus was full of the light and spirit of God. Jesus gave us the eternal gift of showing us how to live in a holy relationship with God and with each other in community. You'll find another that says, I believe that the teachings and stories of Jesus have saved me. From cynicism, despair, and aimlessness. And I believe that by thinking about Jesus and praying to Jesus, I have had Jesus live within me. He went on to say, I believe in a Holy Spirit that brings joy, life, creativity, serenity, and hope. I experience this spirit in worship, in community, in music and art, in nature, and in prayer. And I believe in this spirit because I have seen it. I believe that as a church... We can create this spirit, experience this spirit, and share this spirit with each other and with others outside. And I believe that's why I keep coming. You'll find a couple of more universal statements over here. One who sounds like the opening of the book of Genesis and John's first letter in saying, There is light. We hold it. It holds us. We share it. I believe we are here to reveal the light in ourselves, in each other. The light goes by many names. Some call it God. Or another of a heart that says God is good, people are good, every faith honored, every heart held, no judgment, only love. And yet another who says, when I look at the stars at night and the constellations, I think to myself, the one who created this can handle the amount of faith I'm praying with and turn it into something amazing. Over here, you'll find a long description, a statement of faith, of a person who found her faith through the people of this church. When she became homeless two times, a couple in this church gave her a place to stay, twice. She wrote how Susan, our minister of music, had faith to teach her to praise God beautifully in song and also how to have more faith in herself. She talked about the two men in our faith study group who showed her their purity of love for each other. And she concluded, My faith statement is that I may not be a pillar of faith, but I am so lucky to all of these people in whom I see God's majesty. Through these incredible people, I know that God is a loving and wondrous Father, that he sends me all these people to heal my faith, to strengthen it, and to help it grow. And finally, over here, 
One person offered a prayer as their statement of faith. Dear God, help me to still my heart and ease the heaviness of my breathing. I pray to you for a peace of mind which surpasses all human understanding. Fill me with a sense of wonder as I turn my will and my life over to you. At this moment, take away my pain, any pain that separates your presence from mine. I pray for both guidance and a strength to follow the path you have set for me. Amen. These are all pieces of the mosaic that each one of us brings when we come into an assembly like this one. It is good news. It is resurrected news. And we heard from the Gospel of Mark the charge to go into all the world and proclaim the good news to the whole of creation. So I say to you today, no matter what faith trajectory you and I are on, it is our calling to proclaim that good news here and outside these walls and into the wider world. And together we prove the existence of the living, breathing, uprising, resurgent, challenging, carried away, resurrected body of the risen Christ. Amen.